The SpeedCafe.com podcast is brought to you by Morris, the official finance partner of Speed Cafe. Speed! 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 Speed Cafe! Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Speed Cafe podcast. My name is Damien Smy. Great to be with you. And a massive week in supercars, despite the fact that there was actually no racing. Of course, we had Shane Van Gisbergen and Brody Kostecki stateside in NASCAR and SVG racing in the trucks as well for his oval debut. Uh, but of course, some big, big driver news and uh, more to come, it seems, more imminent news as the musical chairs that is silly season gets away. So Shane Van Gisbergen obviously uh, announced his intention to leave supercars and head to NASCAR in 2024. It's now been confirmed that he's leaving Triple Eight and his replacement has been named as Will Brown from Erebus. So we'll talk about that in just a moment, but also a very strange rumour uh, also emerged this week, leading into, suspiciously, into the tail and bend round, our last round before we start the enduros. And welcome back, the Sandown 500. So great news, a lead in to the 1000 in its traditional pre-Bathist position, which is great for not only co-drivers, but of course, wildcard entries, as well. So extra miles before you hit the mountain, which is always a good thing. So to talk about these strange rumors and the amazing bombshells that have dropped this week, I'd like to welcome Daniel Herrero. Daniel. And so to talk about all of that with me now is uh, Supercars editor, Daniel Herrero. Hello, Daniel. G'day, Daniel. Mate, I'm, I'm bear with me. I've got this husky voice going on. It's not that I'm trying to sound husky. Um, it's just we'll all charge, that. We'll charge the listeners five dollars a minute for this podcast. <laughs> Massive news this week. Obviously, let's let's talk about Shane Van Gisberg and Brady Kostecki just to get that out of the way because so much has happened since last weekend when we had Indy and NASCAR on at the same venue. Um, SVG, uh, I mean, you are the one in, in the early hours in the morning, Daniel, with the the race report duties. Um, how do you rate SVG's? oval debut with the with the trucks and then of course his uh sunday return to cup series i've got to say i was far more impressed with the oval performance than the uh road course performance to be honest um i thought he did a really good job on the oval um obviously he uh he qualified what 28 in a 36 car field off the top of my head which is kind of um but he'd never driven on a, on an oval before that day. So he had um, about half an hour of practice and then straight into qualifying and, uh, and wasn't dead last against a field of more experienced drivers than him. So I thought that was uh, a good achievement. Then I thought how he raced as well. Um, that was quite impressive. He, uh, he got it up to technically 15th at one yes. point. It was on merit, although to be fair, he was 16th and then a three-way battle at that point but um he did really well there he got in some three wide stuff um he was passing cars he um he did get lapped a couple of times to be fair and that left him disappointed but i thought that was a really good result the other thing is just you know those three sessions practice quality race were packed into less than eight hours and the first two were run in the afternoon and the race was run at night so effectively you're kind of trying to learn um, one and a half different tracks as well, which is 
and even uh, big uh, course, the Van Gisberg and I was probably a little disappointed. Um, I mean, he probably set the bar very high for himself with Chicago, didn't he? So I was just uh, yeah, expecting a little bit more there. But I guess, you know, top 10 in your second NASCAR start, he was learning that track the day before. It's, it's probably still good. He just set a very high bar for himself. Um, and then there was Brody Kostecki. Um, would have been a great qualifying result for him if it wasn't for that little prank at the end, which meant that he uh, had to go to the back because I had to go to a backup chassis. Um, yeah, that's pretty major. I mean, how how much do you think that psychologically affected Brody? Do you think it it made a difference, or he just carried on with it? I don't think Brody gets affected by much psychologically. Um, he <laughs> seems to have that uh, quite refreshing "I don't care about anything" attitude. So I don't have been affected by that. To be honest, it, it was just that it buried him in the field. Then, relatively speaking. Um, IMS is not an easy place to pass for NASCAR. So, yeah, I guess it depends on how hard um, RCR or anyone else looking at him are going to mark him for, for that crashing quality. It wasn't a big crash, but he just uh, he just did enough to bend enough things that they had to go to a backup chassis, and that was basically the story of his day. I'll come back to Brody Kostecki because, obviously, the news about Will Brown this week uh, the confirmation finally, well, not finally, but we thought it was coming that Will Brown is heading to Triple Eight to replace Shane Van Gisbergen. But before we get to that ahead of Tail and Ben this weekend, something a little bit unusual has happened. We heard this off a radio station. We heard a rumour uh, that Supercars was for sale or that someone was buying Supercars. Now, I some of the articles you've written, Daniel, interesting timing and uh also uh, is it actually true is it someone banging the pot or, or what's going on there why tell us about what actually the rumor is and then what's the situation with supercars ownership right now anyway why are we, why are we talking about it so long, long story short the rumor is that the uh shahins the uh, sam and yasser who are well known to uh most fans in this country. The rumor is that they, the rumor is originally that they'd already bought supercars, or um, alternatively that they were lining up a deal to buy supercars. Uh, I've uh, done a fair bit of digging around this, um, and I don't think there's anything to it at all at the moment. Um, so can I stop you to there? To be honest, supercars. Can I can I just stop you there? Yeah. How do you buy supercars? Like, do you just, what do you do? Who owns supercars right now and, and how do you buy it? Like, is there a, how do you go about it? The supercars is owned by RACE, which stands for Racing Australia Consolidated Enterprises. I presume that's a backronym. And while it has shareholders, it's not listed. The ownership is relatively concentrated. We think that Barclay Nettlefold, who's the chairman of RACE, has a, a majority share. You've got Henslow, which is an investment advisory firm in the mix. Um, I think they were trying to tap some uh, investors themselves for their own uh, shareholding a little while back to bring some smaller shareholders in. But uh, they've got a, a director on the board, Stephen McCaw. Um, Mark Scaife has a small shareholding. Yura Domizay, who's a uh, 
Canberra-based property developer. He is uh, a shareholder and a board member as well. And then you've got uh, Barry Rogers, uh, whose stake is about 15%. And basically, you've only got a, a handful of parties involved there, and uh, and they've got to be willing to sell, basically. And at the moment, there appears to be no appetite to sell that we know of from anyone. And, and while he's not uh, denied it, Sam Shaheen's also given no indication that he's looking to buy it this time around. The uh, the Shaheen's uh, did make a play for it last time. I think this is just one of those uh, rumours that got out of hand, and it probably helps that Supercars is racing at the Bend this weekend. So uh, what better time to... Um, to get the Shaheens into the news cycle when you've got supercars coming to yes. your racetrack and also when your racetrack is announcing a new 10-year naming rights sponsorship with a rather blue-chip brand um, <laughs> that happens to also be the uh, commercial name of one of the leading teams in supercars as well. So, yeah, I I don't think there's anything to it. The um, There was a theory that maybe they wanted enough of a state to get a board seat so that they could ensure that supercars goes to their racetrack whether that's a value for money way of going about that or not not quite sure but right the only obvious candidate there would be barry rogers and that and he's told us that uh he's got no plans to sell at the moment either so uh, there's not really anywhere to go there so that would the intention might have been so we're cynically saying it, it could be just publicity for the bend uh, and we also saying that it could also be a way for the bend to remain on the calendar. And I, I mean, I can't see why it wouldn't be on the calendar, frankly. But um, <clears throat> is there is is the bend under threat as an event? I mean, it it I don't think Sam Shaheen would like us saying that, but I'm not saying it is. But is it was it under threat or is it is it locked in for a multi year deal or what's the situation there? I don't. I don't think it's under threat. It has um, state government support as well, like Adelaide does. I, I don't see a reason why why it would drop off the calendar necessarily. Um, obviously. It'd be a waste. Be a waste for such a expensive and comprehensive facility, frankly, to not be on the calendar when when we're crying out for racetracks, basically. It it would. I but to be fair, there's no permanent racetrack in this country that lives and dies on supercars. Um, supercars is a, is a nice to have for all the it's good for it's good for the image. We know in the case of Benalla Auto Club when they had Winton on the calendar, it's just good for staff morale as well. And BAC promoted that event for themselves. I don't I don't think that uh, Sam Shaheen would would be uh, too worse off financially, if at all, if uh, supercars didn't come. But I think for for them, it's more um, it's more that they are motorsport fans than they are parochial South Australians as well. So he talks a lot about bringing events and visitation to the state. Um, but no, I, I don't think the Ben's under threat either. Um, we uh, we think that New Zealand that uh, Topo is close to coming on the calendar, but I don't think that would be at the expense of any of the incumbent events, certainly. Right. So that'd be a 13th event. Um, before we leave the bend, well, about this this ownership rumour, I, I guess the, the next thing that's coming up for the bend is the opening of its drag strip, ironically named, as you point out, 
if if Sam Shaheen nor uh, Alistair McDonald, the CEO of the band, is listening to this, can we have the drag strip renamed to Straight, please? <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, so if that happens, no, yeah. we've got it. We've got a credit here. We've got a credit here from Daniel Herrera. And I, and I was calling the yeah, Turing Car Super Freak before it was cool. Um, no, the, yeah, the band, um, no, it, it's a great facility. It's great that someone has actually uh, invested money. It's only uh, done that racetrack that we've had over in the last couple of decades. QR was 1999 off the top of my head. Um, although Tony Quinn spent some money on that joint lately as well to... Uh, yes. To make it more, much more user friendly, but no, um, the band's um, five years old now. Opened in twenty eighteen, cost a hundred million dollars they say, but then even with the drag strip alone now, that figure comes up to one hundred and thirty million at least. Um, yeah. and a good looking facility at the drag strip, by the way, based on some uh, some footage that they've released of it. So that's that's exciting. Um. And heavily used for testing as well, particularly for GT3 cars, which is, and they're quite well suited to that circuit. Mm. Uh, speaking of investment, Triple Eight's invested in Will Brown for 2024. And obviously, our listeners are supercars fans, motorsport fans, so they know what's going on here. But if Brody goes stateside as well, I mean, we've got the guys that are first and second in the championship right now and the team leading the team's championship potentially losing both drivers, but even if Brody stays, you've still lost. How can a team in such a championship position have, why would Will Brown go to Triple Eight? I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but this is, this is, uh, it, it's unusual. He's in a winning car already, basically. He was leading the championship. So why, what's, what's better at Triple Eight and why have Triple Eight chosen Will Brown? Because they don't choose drivers lightly. Uh, if obviously look at look at the names, I mean Lowndes Wing Cup and SVG obviously are the most. Not only are they amazing Triple Eight drivers, they're amazing drivers in the category statistically. Full stop. Whether you're looking at Bathurst in Lowndes's uh, instance or championships in Jamie's or a bit of both for Shane. But what? Why will Brown for Triple Eight? And and again, why would you leave Erebus when it's in such a strong position? Uh, yeah, well, first, why will Brown Triple Eight? Well, um, I guess firstly, I, I would say it's very good news for them that they don't have to put Jamie Winkup back into the car next year. And I don't say that as, um, as a shot at him driving. I just think you can't juggle team principle at Triple Eight and all the other things you've got going on with trying to be competitive in a race car. So there's that for a start. Um, why will Brown? Well, there weren't a lot of... Uh, Options out there, certainly in supercars. Um, not just anyway. So, uh, Will Brown was under contract for 2024 anyway. Um, or so we thought until at least a week and a half ago. We didn't think that he was, uh, he was an option for them either. I know a, a lot of people have said that, um, Brody Kostecki could be a future triple late driver that he's got that sort of talent. He's certainly got a lot of natural talent. Um, Will Brown, though, he's possibly because he was available because he he, uh, he wanted to leave Erebus for some reason. Clearly, we we think that he approached Betty Clemenko and that she, his team owner, of course, and that she sorted it out um, 
rather than it being a, an approach to Barry Ryan, who's the, uh, the CEO, of course, at Erebus. Um, but Will Brown, though, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock him at all. He's he's a quite achiever, and um, and he's a championship leader midway through the mid, from midway through the Townsville event to uh, to midway through the Sydney event. So, um, I, I that's a that's a very good pickup for Triple Eight. Um, you know, he's he's youngish. He's what twenty five now, so. You'd probably say he's still got a, a few more years before he comes into his prime yeah. as a race car driver. I think culturally he's probably a good fit for Triple Eight as well. Uh, apparently he gets on very well with Brock Beanie, so that obviously helps as well because Triple Eight uh, hasn't ever really had a number one and a number two driver. Mm. Um, so I. I that Will Brown is a really good signing for them. There are obviously a, a few others in the field that you would have looked at if they were not under contract. I'm thinking, uh, you know, Cameron Waters, Chazzy Mostert, Andre Heimgartner. I'm probably not uh, sticking my neck out too much there because they're the rest that are in the top seven in the championship at the moment. Um, but no, I, I think Brown's a, a good signing. Brown or Kostecki, which one you you prefer? Toss of a coin. Um, but Brown probably fits in well at Triple Eight and and he was available. Do you think that'll change the way Brody and Will are fighting for the championship? Do you think the same way people suggested that Shane Van Gisbergen leaving would maybe give Brock Feeney preference at Triple Eight, which Jamie Winkup has denied? Jamie Winkup said, like you, you're saying, we don't have a number one. Um do you think that'll change the way Brody and Will get treated by Erebus, or do you think Barry Ryan will start favouring Brody or anything like that? If there's a situation, you know, a double stack situation or a strategy option, and there's one car that can be advantaged, surely it'll go Brody's way. I can tell you that the conspiracies are already going that way. They've spoken to multiple people with links into Erebus. That have basically said that that said that uh, look out at Bathurst if there's a safety car and uh, nine is ahead of ninety nine and they both need to pit because we might get a, a counterintuitive outcome <laughs> when that happens. Um, so the short answer is, yeah, I'd say that's more likely than unlikely. Mm. And that brings me to the other so that where does that leave the driver market now so then there's a spot at Erebus because Will Brown's so Shane Van Gisbergen's gone from Triple Eight next year Will Brown's filled that seat so there's a seat at Erebus now who fills that seat and then what seat does that leave empty how do, how do the musical chairs work at the moment where do we stand as we head into Tail and Bend yeah so the next domino to fall uh, it'll be Jack LeBrock um that one's pretty much done now. I think that's come together very quickly I mean, in the last few days because, of course, the Will Brown one only came together pretty quickly as well. So Jack LeBrock um, is 90-odd percent certain that he will move from uh, Matt Stone Racing to Erebus. He's a former Erebus driver. They um, they had him in their academy in their teens. Um, they gave him his... Super 2 debut through Image Racing, with which they're aligned. They gave him his BCS debut 
as a, an enduro co-driver in 2015. So he's got history there. Um, Barry Ryan knows him. They've seen what he's like. He's a race winner this year. Um, he's, as, as far as we know, he's the only race winner that wasn't contracted for 2024 yet and the uh, highest ranked driver in the championship who was Yet, assuming most were the Airbus Triple Eight, so um, so yeah, that's that'll be Jack LeBrock that then leads a gap at MSR, um, and who knows what happens to that one at the moment? That is that is a bit of a mystery. There are a few names in the running for the seat that Cameron Hill got last year. I can think of that. Uh, Declan Fraser and Zach Best, and they are probably both. Well, we certainly know that Zach Best is in the market for 2024. I suspect Declan Fraser will be uh, as well, based on on uh, what could happen at Tickford in terms of streamlining their operation. So there are a couple there. There's probably some others in Super Two that would be sniffing around for it. Um, Cooper Murray who's uh, challenging for the Super 2 title at the moment. He's in his rookie season with uh, Eggleston Motorsport. Um, so I'd, I'd expect that it would be someone young that would uh, would go into that seat again. You mentioned Cameron Waters before, Cam Waters. So is he signed up now? There were rumours Cam was going to go and... Uh... You know, obviously Tickford was strenuous that he was going to stay, but um, so is Cam sign up at Tickford now for the future, or or what's going on there? Yeah, I I think that one's done now. I think there was um, notwithstanding that Tickford probably did have an option on him as uh, Tim Edwards hinted, because the usual way of contracts is the, a lot of two plus twos, um, and he's in the the first of those twos at the moment. If that's the deal that he was on, so I think I think that's done. There was um, there's a bit of toing and froing. WIU would have made a play for him. Triple Eight probably looked at him as a backup for Van Gisbergen, um, even before that Chicago win. Um, but no, I think Cameron Waters is a lock there now. So I would expect to see him in the uh, number six Mustang again next year. And it's good news for Ford fans. I mean, he's been the predominant Ford, him and Chaz, actually. Chaz has been, obviously, a strong performer as well. Um, but Cam, just some bad some bad luck this year. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's good for some stability at, at Tickford. But, uh, yeah, it's all, all to play for. There's a few. Obviously, Shane is the big seat, and that's the seat that Will Brown has. So that's the most coveted. But it leads me to a question, Daniel. In this series now, in supercars, now that it's Gen 3 and you can't go back to your workshop and re-engineer a part or try something new, not so much, does that mean Triple Eight's not the best car anymore? Or does that take away Triple Eight's advantage or DJR's, for that matter, as the homologation team for Ford? Does it make does it make it less of a, you know, it, it's it's... Going to Triple Eight isn't necessarily going to a winning car in the sense that, and again, not saying Triple Eight won't win, but it it's less of a sure thing these days, given Gen 3's, the way Gen Three is shaking things up. 
I'd say it's less of a short thing on the Ford side because that car has just changed so many times um, since the start of the season. If they try to get them paratized, you would think on the on the Chevrolet side, Triple Eight should know that car better than anyone else. Um, not just because they have the homologation team, but because they did so much of the development of Gen Three. Um, and then after that, you're relying on you're relying on your engineering now, and so you're relying on your processes for the um, the competitive advantage. You know, we, we see it in let's use a, an example that Shane Berger used. You see it in in Carrera Cup. You've always got the usual suspects at the top of the field. It's not like it becomes mm. completely random. So good teams are still good teams, even if they still have the same car as the you know as the team down the other end of pit lane. Um, so Triple H should still have an advantage based on the resources they have behind them, but it's been it's been interesting to see um to see Erebus being the sort of upstarts this year, I guess you could mm. say. And they've certainly been good for the championship lead so far. Yeah, and that makes it more interesting that Will Brown's gone from the upstart team challenging the incumbent and now is going to what was the incumbent in Triple Eight. I, I I find that fascinating and it, it it does make sense but and as you say uh shaman gisbergen could still win the title this year so could brock feeney the points gap between those four drivers is effectively zero at the moment really when you've got tail and ben to come and we've got sandown bathus uh and gold coast and adelaide there's enough points the the, the difference at the moment is negligible across all of those guys you've got 1515 points on the table at the moment, including the fastest laps this weekend at the Bend, and first to third, which is Van Gisbergen, is 54 points, and Beanie's only about another Baker's dozen or something further behind. So, yeah, there's nothing in it at the moment. would be interesting if it's uh, Van Gisbergen again, though, because then he'll go to NASCAR, and that means the last six championships have, uh, have gone across the Pacific Yes, Scott McLaughlin taking the others. Yes. And it reminds me, I don't know if anyone shares my conspiracy theory of Marcus Ambrose and the uh, balaclava, which I think was just as he'd, he, we knew he was going to NASCAR. So I felt like they didn't want him to take the title with him. So, I mean, yeah, he didn't have a balaclava. Okay, got him. But uh, the conspiracy theorists suggest that was kind of, you know, because of that. Completely unfounded, but, you know, yeah, one for the right. cookbooks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daniel, this weekend, Tail and Bend, yes, the circuit's got the publicity, the event's got the publicity, uh, but it's kind of a new a new era, as in it's a new, it's a new fight now, given the Will Brown news is out, you know. This is SVG's going. Uh, I mean, does SVG go kamikaze now? Does he, you know, do more bump and runs? Uh, does does uh, Brady Kostecki, like we're saying, get the upper hand on Will? Is Will's championship over? I mean, does this this weekend is the start of you know uh, the gloves are kind of off in the sense that yeah we've had some big changes and we know what's happening next year. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought that you you, you put forward there. It's, you've um, you've got a scenario when the four. Or a championship combatant, so 
they're each going to have a new teammate at the end of the season. So that's an interesting dynamic that um, that you hint at there. I I don't. Kamikaze is an interesting one for Van Gisberg. We, um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's probably going to be a bit disappointed to have to rein in the uh, the bump and runs this weekend after uh, what happened to him last time at Sydney. But yeah, in terms of Shane Van Gisbergen's approach, I don't think much will change. There is a pretty bold racer at the best of times. He might be a bit disappointed to have to rein in the, the bump and runs, given what happened to him in Sydney, as opposed to how they raced at the Brickyard the other day. He uh, he gave a couple. He got moved aside by Alex Bowman at one point. I've got to say, just as a as a digression on that point, I'm a fan of the bump and run. Yeah, I'm not. I like the idea of not not completely unloading someone, but I like the idea of having <laughs> enough skill to give someone a bit of a nudge and to just unsettle them and pass them. I think that some I know some people are gonna say some people are gonna say it's unsporting. I think that is actually quite skillful. I think that's one of the dark arts. I'd like to see more of it, to be honest. I'd like to um I'd like for them to to loosen that up. I don't, you know, you don't want it to go full NASCAR where you've got, you know, blokes getting turned into a wall on the final lap of the Daytona 500 just because you can. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a step too far. But in terms of a, a little nudge, push someone wide at the braking zone and then to jam it down the inside or drive past them as they try and regain traction. I like seeing that. I think I like, I'd like to see the racing get a bit rougher um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the bump and run. Get me in. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of the dark arts. I don't know if it's because I'm older than you, but I feel like, I mean, and there's pictures if you go back. I mean, there's always been contact in touring cars in Australia, but not, you know, I, I, I remember the British touring cars in the 90s, and that was nuts. And that was contact that wasn't at the time, you know, VP, uh, VP, VR, VS, Commodore, EBF, EL Falcon kind of era. There wasn't like blatant ramming or bump and run kind of stuff. Contact wasn't that common. Now, someone's going to find me 20 examples of why I'm wrong there. But uh, I even remember John Bow holding off, uh, I think it was Richards in the GTR at Winton and physical contact between the GTR and the Sierra. Um, but... It, it just I, I i i don't know if it's because i grew up in that era but i get what you're saying but uh, i'm not totally convinced you've made me question my thoughts though so i don't oh, know if you're fan of the bumper run in 2009 will davison I'm, I'm completely freewheeling off the top of my head now but will davison won a race because the decisive pass i think it was Jamie Winkup, that he uh, he gave just a bit of a nudge for that dandy road corner. Yeah. Um, just unsettled him a bit through the corner and on exit. And uh, Winkup uh, straddled the exit curb and Davison passed him for the lead. And that was the decisive move. And that was legal at the time. And I thought that was awesome. That was skillful. <laughs> I'm sure Will Davison enjoyed it as well. And on that note, I just want to say thanks to Daniel Herrero, um, who is at Tail and Bend this weekend um, for the last Supercars 
championship round before the enduro start, the return of the Sound and 500, which I think is universally great news. I don't think anyone's upset that the Sound and 500's back. Um, but yeah, interesting dynamics with those driver changes, um, people knowing a little bit more about their future. A few drivers with question marks still, Dave Reynolds, perhaps, if we're talking about the Sandown 500 and Penrite, obviously Dave Reynolds and uh, his Penrite Grove team. Uh, there's been a, a few bits. Who, who of does racing for their future? Who gets more desperate now? That's the other one we've got to keep an eye out for. That's fair. That's fair. Whose career is on the line? this weekend and in the last remaining races of, of the year. So, and then we've got wild cards as well, which we'll talk about closer to Sandown, but uh, wild cards uh, across multiple teams, which will mix things up as well. So, but this weekend, tail and bend. Uh, yes. The start of, uh, or the start of silly season has, well, we're well and truly into silly season to be frank. But uh, some big moves. The biggest one, Shane Van Gisbergen, confirmed as departing supercars in 2024. His replacement named championship still on the line, so all to play for. So uh, catch up with what happens uh, at the bend, obviously on Speed Cafe, but also on the Monday newscast with Mark Fogarty. Uh, catch up on everything there. Any controversies, uh, and there's sure to be controversies, as there always are, um, possibly because of that dynamic we talked about. But catch up with catch up with the news on the news podcast. Obviously, F one in a bit of a break at the moment, so not so much racing to talk about. But uh, obviously, uh, some bits and pieces in terms of what's going on over the summer break. So catch up um, with the F one pit talk podcast as well. So thanks for listening and uh, stay across everything on Speed Cafe, and we'll talk to you next time. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. <laughs>